for Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose. I'm Ken Volier. In 2014, when CVS made the bold decision to stop selling tobacco products in its stores, it was hailed by physicians, public health advocates, and President Obama himself. While the move was a highly risky one for the country's largest pharmacy chain, it was seen as a powerful example of putting purpose ahead of profit. Five years later, CVS's fight to achieve a tobacco-free generation remains as steadfast as ever. My guest today is Norm DeGrieve, Chief Marketing Officer at CVS Health. He joins me to discuss the company's brand purpose, the importance of taking a stand, how the company benefited from banning tobacco, its latest advertising campaign, and more. Norm, welcome to Beyond Profit. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So CVS's brand purpose is to help people on their path to better health. I'd love to know how the company determined its role in society and the importance of being purposeful. Yeah, so if you look at the history of CVS, it started as a drugstore chain, you know, pharmacies around the country. And uh, if you go back about 10 years ago, the company started looking at, well, what's our future? Where are we going to be? Because the drugstores are really, you know, they were pharmacies and convenience stores put, to, put together. And about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, the company decided we need to pivot more into health. And so that, that took you from just kind of a general store into health, and it led to a series of acquisitions a, a, along the way. When you think about why was all that happening, it was happening because we had a vision that we could help people be healthier. Now, at the time, there was a mission statement. You know, help, I forget exactly what it was, but something like help people live their healthiest lives or something like that. And what uh, the company did was learn that there's a big difference between mission and purpose. Mission is what you want to achieve. Purpose is what you do for others. And so at that point, a team was assembled to say, how do we articulate what we do for others? And we came up with this statement, helping people on their path to better health. And uh, it's actually been quite a magical statement. It's so simple. A, everyone can remember it. So that, like, that's good because lots of people have statements that are up on a wall or in a book somewhere that nobody can remember. B, it's grand in its humbleness. Uh, everybody can do something. You know, little things can help people on their path to better health. And then big things, acquisitions, but every day our interactions could do something. Uh, and so that's been really uh, great. And then I think that the origins of a company as a retailer, where you have interactions with customers every day, has led to a real humbleness uh, in the organization. And also care is humble, right? You, you, you're there with people every day, eye to eye eye level, and so that gets you very quickly to authenticity because you realize that authenticity is what drives it. I think it's that constant connection with patients and people and consumers that keeps you authentic. And we can go into more about how that evolved, but how we came to demonstrate our commitment to that. But it really was a route into committing into a, per, a direction towards health and then coming from retail routes that connected us to consumers every day. So you said the purpose statement itself is rather simple, but I assume it was difficult to get to that yes. point. I mean, that's there the was a team of 20 people that came together to, to figure out eight words. <laughs> you know, but, it, but it doesn't start as eight words, right? And, uh, but th and that, is the, um, that is the challenge. And I think having been through this a few times with different companies, what you have to be very careful of is that your own ego and your own desire to feel like you're part of something important doesn't get in the way of what you're doing for others. Uh, a lot of times, because you, when your own ego is involved, you start to come up with statements that are actually more goal-oriented, like help people have the best lives. You know, like that, it's just, it gets so superfluous that 
uh, that you can't ever achieve it, and therefore nobody actually cares about it. They're just like, whatever, you know? But I, you know, this one has been, it's met the test of time, is you ask anybody at CVS what the purpose is, and they all know it. And it's not because every day they wake up trying to learn the purpose. It's because it's so simple and it's so resonant and relevant. So in some ways, you know, it's like marking the power of eight relevant words. So as you know, the world is changing. Consumers now expect brands to take stands on yeah. issues um, that they care deeply about, such as smoking. How difficult a proposition is that for a company to take a stand? How challenging was that to get to that? There's a, there's a general question you're asking, and there's a specific question about how hard or easy was it for us to take a stand on tobacco, because yes. we should talk about that. I think that what a company has to do, first and foremost, is do what its customers and consumers want them to do, what, what, what they already know is right to do. And sometimes that has been at odds with what companies have been doing, and so you see them transitioning and making moves to, to be more in concert with who their customers are. And you know, when you take a company like CVS, we serve a wide swath of the population, and so we actually need to have policies and an offering that is relevant to the average person, not in any particular you know, sector. I think what's happening is, is because consumers are more in control and because you have to be relevant to a wide swath of people, companies are starting to say, hey, how do I make sure that I'm in line with that? And so in some ways it's getting easier, though what you're finding is that there are, no matter what you do, there are groups that say, hey, that's not me. And so you have to make choices. And I think we've seen some of those really, really recently with the gun open carry rules. But let's get to tobacco for a second, because tobacco was, it was pretty hard, it was very hard, but it was easy in this respect. There isn't going to be a whole lot of people that are going to advocate that you should be selling cigarettes, right? Other than what people were advocating for was, hey, a company shouldn't constrain my choice. So let me back up now and talk to you about the decision about tobacco, and then we'll get back into that kind of challenge. So if you, if you commit to a purpose of helping people on their path to better health, and you commit to being a healthcare company, it's pretty hard to profit, do that while you're profiting from selling the number one cause of preventable death in America. I mean, you know, 480,000 people a year die of tobacco-related illnesses. Now, like, you know, and sometimes that's like a number, it's hard to get your hands around it. That's like eight Vietnam Wars every year. I mean, it's a giant amount of people. It's completely preventable because you don't have to uh, be smoking. And it's a big deal. And I don't think that the companies that profit from the distribution of that are any more innocent than the companies that profit from the manufacturing of that. And so we looked at it and said, it's just very inconsistent with who we want to be in the future. Okay, got that. Pretty good agreement on that. Challenge. We make a lot of money off selling tobacco. So how people kind of say, well, I get what you're saying, but how are you going to, we're going to report earnings to Wall Street? How are we going to re replace the earnings and keep going on our purpose. And I would say that one of the mistakes that I think is made in the purpose landscape is that people can confuse purpose with evangelism in a way. If you go out of business, you are not serving your purpose. You can get very strong on a purpose, you know, we gotta do all the right things, but if it doesn't generate business for you, you're not actually delivering on your purpose because you need to be there every year to deliver on your purpose. And so there was a lot of discussions about how is this actually gonna, gonna work? And the idea was that we would sure, uh, at the time we knew it would cost $2 billion to get out of tobacco. So we said, will we make up $2 billion in other lines of our business or even in the retail business? And our gamble was this, sell fewer $10 packs of cigarettes and get more $10 million contracts on the B2B side of our business by demonstrating to employers and health plans and others 
that were committed to the health of their employees and members because we have a whole uh, pharmacy benefits management business, specialty infusion businesses, lots of B2B businesses. And we said, if we demonstrate our commitment to the health of their employees and their members, will they give us more business? And that was the gamble. Maybe less in the consumer side, but get more on the B2B side because we demonstrate our commitment. The result was phenomenal. We did lose the $2 billion, actually a little bit less. We lost a little bit less than the $2 billion we expected, but it was still a lot. And we gained multiple billions, multiples of that in our B2B side. And so in the years following, so this was 2014 when we made this decision, we were Fortune 13. By 2016, we were Fortune 7. I mean, it just, it, it really, just the, the business did take off. Now, so just to come back to your question, which was at the beginning, is it hard to be purpose-driven? It was hard financially. You've got to think about how the business comes to, back together. And then the question is, how do you uh, resonate with your consumers? So what we thought was that people would like this. Uh, we were a little worried about the stock market, uh, the stock market people saying, where's the money going to go? And we were a little worried about some consumers uh, and our employees being able to handle those consumers who were worried about not having the products that they're used to. On the Wall Street side, we were really surprised because uh, the stock went up. And what's in that is a human truth. Everybody could relate to a story of somebody dying from tobacco. And so there was just a human applause that came through in the stock market and other places for doing this move. People believed that it would lead to a better and stronger business, and that, that paid off. I think the idea of constraining consumer choice, you know, it, maybe, maybe it did, but those cigarettes were still available at other places, so we weren't saying people, you, you know, you can't buy them, it's just that that's not what we're about, and there was very little noise about that, but, you know, I think you could have more if the decisions were in different categories. So you mentioned the $2 billion loss in revenue for the company, but could you just talk a little bit more about benefits that the organization gained as a result of taking the stand? Sure. There's the financial benefit. I think I talked about that. There, more importantly, resulted in the single highest gain in our engagement scores of our employees ever. Uh, and so we moved at the same time. We did three things We at the same time. We, one, got out of tobacco. Two, changed our name to CVS Health from CVS Caremark, which is what we were at the time. So at the time, we got out of tobacco and we changed our name. Oh, and we launched our purpose all, all at the same time. And employees, it just really, really resonated with them. So you get the highest movements in your engagement scores ever. What, what does that mean? That means that you get an employee base that is thinking in a more innovative way, thinking about how to deliver on the purpose, and the purpose permeated in everyone and everywhere. And what happened was it became very clear to everybody in the organization that they could advance in their role and in their job and in their career by doing something that delivered on our purpose. And so you started seeing ideas pop up everywhere. If you know, I can go through since then all the stuff that's happened, but it actually changed the whole nature of the organization in a really deep way. Everybody to this day thinks, how does this help deliver on our purpose? And if they think it does, they know they'll be rewarded for that. So you actually change the culture of a whole company. You know, and, and think about branding. A lot of times you talk about disruptive moves to change the perception of the brand. This was a disruptive move that changed the culture of the company in, in a really positive way. And so you know, if you look at what happened after that, what happened? In the years after that, we got out of SPF, sunscreen with SPF under 15 because it didn't provide enough protection against skin cancer. That was just one merchant's decision. Hey, how do I deliver on the, the purpose? When Mylan raised the price of EpiPen to $600, our pharmacy uh, team worked with a generic manufacturer to come out with an equivalent that with a coupon was $9.99. Huge deal if you're, you know, you're trying to afford that. 
That was just that they figured out how to deliver on the purpose. We came up with the beauty mark, which is our whole commitment to unaltered imagery in our beauty marketing so that people have realistic expectations and beauty. That's kind of more of a health idea of how do you deliver on mental health. Another team's idea on how, on how to do this, we came out with, we got out of artificial trans fats, we got out of in our food products, we got out of parabens in our uh, store brand beauty products. It's just, it's, my point is, it's just starting to bubble up from everywhere. Everyone realizes they're part of this thing that is really special and connected to helping people. A lot of these changes uh, from driven by consumers or internally, would you say? Well, what happens is there, we identify the consumer trend and then it's driven internally. Uh, what you don't want to do is be too far ahead of consumers because, you know, that's, that's never been a good business model, right? But these things are happening out there. So consumers are getting smarter. They're thinking about these things. They're talking about them. And we're seeing it happen, and then we can participate in that uh, as well. So CVS is now earmarking about $50 million to combat youth vaping. I assume that this was a no-brainer for the company? Yeah, well, the $50 million is our commitment to creating a tobacco-free generation. It's really to take a step towards a tobacco-free generation. And yeah, the vaping piece, is an, it's, it's a no-brainer. We can, we, we can talk more about that. It's about to know the thought process, yeah. really. That way. We got out of tobacco. We create smoking cessation programs. We carry those products. That's step one, right? And Miniclinic was the smoking cessation programs. Our pharmacists help with that products. Then this vaping thing shows up, which becomes just a huge youth crisis in America. You know, 99% of people who start using tobacco start when they're under 26. And what we see is that if you start vaping, you're more likely to start using tobacco as well. And so not only can vaping be bad for you, but it actually leads to the thing that's even worse for you, which, which uh, you know, it's the number one cause of preventable death. And so when we got out of tobacco, we also said we're not going to carry any cigarettes, vaping, none of that stuff. And so we haven't been in that and we're happy for that decision. And so when we have this $50 million commitment, it was started with tobacco, but now it's how do you stop the vaping problem with youth as well, which in some ways has become certainly much more to the forefront of how do we of a crisis in America. And so we're working with all the great organizations, the Truth Campaign, DoSomething.org, American Cancer Society, and uh, we're getting colleges to commit to being smoking tobacco and vaping, which is awesome. We implemented something with our agencies that we will not work with any ad agencies that work for any of the vaping companies or the tobacco companies because we don't want to you know, subsidize those profits. You're leading a new campaign now called uh, Be the First. Can you just tell me some of the elements of the campaign? and? What excites you most about it? There's a bunch of elements to it. A few that I'm really excited about. One is our work with the colleges and universities to get them to be tobacco-free. It's something like only 25% of the 4,600 colleges and universities in the country are actually tobacco-free campuses. It's actually kind of a remarkable fact. Like, in a way, it'd be like, why aren't they all tobacco-free, you know? But they're not, uh, and there's complexities for them to get there. And so part of the money that we've committed to this is to work with all those campuses and our great partners like the American Cancer Society to help them implement policies to make them tobacco-free, which is great. So you come in, it's obviously not permitted in high school. You go to college, it's not permitted there, and that takes you up to 21, and then you know hopefully you're, you're making good decisions as well. So that's one piece I'm really happy with. The Truth Initiative we're working on, so you can text, I want to quit. If you're, it's ditch jewel, and you, you text that, and then we'll send you back tips and ideas on how to stop jeweling. And then if you're feeling the crave, you can ditch it, you can text it and we'll help you in the moment as well, which is great. Do something.org, which is awesome. We have this whole campaign we're doing with them, which is um, they're getting people in schools to share all the, how bad vaping is and ideas on how not to do it. And the school that does the most will get, people will get scholarships and, um, and then you know, have some visits by celebrities, which is really great. 
So I think it's, and we'll work with anybody who can really make a difference in the youth area because not only is vaping bad, vaping leads to tobacco. And that's bad too. And you know, I think um, obviously the tobacco companies have gotten into the vaping business as well. And so it's just not something that we need as a country. And it's, it's um, you know, you don't want your kids doing it. And if you don't want your kids doing it, you don't want other kids doing it. Is there a particular medium that you're relying on more for this campaign? Digital. It's all digital because that's where kids are, you know? I don't think I'd go to TV for this. Seriously, like who's watching? I mean, these kids just aren't watching TV at all. So you mentioned at the beginning that uh, the employees at CVS really rallied around the purpose. And I'm assuming it's the same situation with this new campaign. And it's like, how do you get everyone on board a company like this to, you know, to really all be pulling in the same direction? I know, it's great. I think, um, you know, we've got 300,000, almost 300,000 employees and people, there's a lot of pride in this stuff. People want to be part of something that makes a positive difference in the world. They want to be a participant in the things going on around. And so when you give them an avenue to do something, they feel great about it. And I, I do think that companies have a big obligation to represent the values of society and the values of their employees. And when you do that, you get a lot more engagement, which leads to innovation, which leads to more ideas, and you deliver on the values, and you, it keeps going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So lastly, just I, I have to ask, you know, working for a purposeful company like CVS, mm-hmm. has that had an effect on you personally? Well, completely. Let, let's just start, you know, things you realize as, you're, as you get older, you look back, and you're like, how did I end up where, where I am? So first, I, uh, I lost my father to lung cancer when, he, when I was seven. So, you know, that was, it's in you, it's latent in you. But then when you see the opportunity to do something about it, you know, you want to do something about it. But I also went to a, a Quaker school, which was, um, the Quakers are all about helping everybody. And I think that's really stayed in with in me about how do you really make a positive difference in society? And I think that businesses really are a way to make a positive difference in society. If you think about the scale impact we can have, I mean, we're touching 100 million people a year. And when we can make us, you know, we commit to something, we can have a scale impact on 100 million people a year. That is just a phenomenal opportunity. And that is so motivating. So how has it affected me? It's made me proud about the stuff that we've done. It's made me value the place I work at, uh, which is great. And it's made me think deeply about the role we can all play in making at least our corner of the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And so then I think as you go forward, you know, that becomes a filter for the things that you want to do. You know, it's, it's almost like a, a, a high that you don't want to, you, you know, maybe a bad word, it's almost, <laughs> but it's almost like an excitement you don't want to get off of. You want to keep doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I think industries are different. We're, we happen to be in a really good spot to do this. It's really emotional. It's really connected millions of people every day coming in our stores. We can affect their health. Uh, we have great people who work for us, some of the kindest, nicest people in the world. And uh, when you feel like you can make a difference, you get motivated. Well, Norm, thank you for joining me on Beyond Profit. I greatly appreciate it. Till next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.